0: Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslander. This message was preached on April 2nd, Palm Sunday, 2023. Don't go. No, that's what the disciples told Jesus. Don't go to Jerusalem because they want to kill you there. And they were right. And he knew it. Don't go to Jerusalem, Jesus. If you go, you might never come out. They want to kill you. And Jesus knew they were right. But he went anyway. And to their credit, the disciples had the courage to go with him. Even the one we call Doubting Thomas, Skeptical Thomas said, let's go with him. If he's going to die, we will die with him. You see, Jesus had already made up his mind. It was God's plan for him. It was his plan for himself. When he went, he didn't seek to hide from his enemies. His entry into Jerusalem on the day we call call Palm Sunday was as noisy and public as could be. He, He arranged for an animal to ride into town so he could be mounted like a king. Now you know that he didn't choose a war horse because he wasn't coming in war. He was a peacemaker and he rode on a donkey. And he didn't even ride a fully grown donkey. He came in on a colt, well aware that by doing so, he was fulfilling a prophecy of Zechariah that he was both the king and the Messiah. Hey, the crowds loved it and praised him. His enemies hated it and conspired to kill him at their earliest opportunity. What happened on Palm Sunday in part was Jesus sealed his death warrant. That's why he came. He came to die for our sins. Now in the movie versions, Palm Sunday is a day of great pageantry and praise. But in truth, as we read through this day, I want you to see It was a day of major emotional swings for Jesus. He starts with grim determination. I'm going to Jerusalem, and there I know they're going to kill me. Later he smiles with an adoring crowd, maybe even laughed with them as they praised him. Then he stops at a place where he could see the city, and he weeps over it knowing that it was about to face god's judgment and later he is consumed with deep deep anger as he sees the temple of god had been turned into a flea market listen this is jesus and i want you to know him in all of his moods and with all of his characteristics because he's our lord and our savior and the one we follow And we've been spending a lot of time in Luke because I really want you to know who Jesus is. And this day shows him in a way that we don't often see. So we're going to read passage in Luke 19, beginning with verse 28. It's often the passage read on Palm Sunday. This day is also known as the triumphal entry when Jesus entered into Jerusalem as publicly as possible. Let's stand together and we're going to read Luke 19:28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. You may be seated. That's Palm Sunday. It was an act of courage for Jesus. It was now Too late for him to back down or retreat. His death was now inevitable. He had proclaimed himself to be the king of the Jews. He was proclaiming himself to be the Christ. He was proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. And either he was right, as I believe, or he was committing blasphemy and the Jews were right. The Jews had already made up their mind. Have you made up yours? Who do you believe Jesus to be? Understand, Jesus and the disciples were saying, this is the King, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the Son of God. The Jews were saying, anybody that would say that is a blasphemer. There was really no middle ground. you either for Jesus or you're against Jesus. You either adored Him or you hated Him. And that's what was happening on Palm Sunday. I hope you've made up your mind. Which side of that aisle you're on? Because too many people in America, especially, too many people are right smack dab in the middle. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I'm I'm not following Jesus. I believe there's a God, but I haven't really thought about Him. The crowds loved Jesus. The enemies hated Him. There was no room in the middle. Which side are you on? Listen, there's some things we can learn from Palm Sunday. and, And I want us to think about these things. The first thing I want you to see... Is the plan of Jesus this entire week was very carefully planned out by Jesus he didn't wing it he knew exactly what was going to happen that week because he had planned it you see it a little bit in this passage he arranged for a cult ahead of time to be at a particular place in a particular village He didn't tell his disciples that ahead of time, probably because he knew he had a traitor in the midst. But he gave them the exact details. Go ahead, you will find a colt. They're going to ask you about it. Say this, and they will give it to you, and then bring it back to me. And it happened just as Jesus said. Later, he did the same thing in this week. He did the same thing with the Passover meal. He told his disciples, this is where I want you to go, you will recognize the guy in this way, follow him, and there you will find everything that is needed for the Passover meal. And again, he didn't share that ahead of time with his disciples because he knew he had a traitor. He carefully orchestrated this week. He knew what was going to happen, and he had some things to do in Jerusalem before his crucifixion, but that too was part of his plan. This week, you can see very clearly, Jesus himself was the director. The Jewish Sanhedrin wasn't in charge. Pontius Pilate wasn't in charge. The Roman soldiers weren't in charge. His crucifixion was his plan. It wasn't an accident of history. This was not, oh, horrible thing that a 33-year-old great teacher who could have accomplished great things died. This was the plan of Jesus from the very beginning. He came to die for our sins, and then he calls us to believe in him. Jesus had a plan for himself, and I hope you know that Jesus also has a plan for you. Are you living it? Have you figured it out? Have you asked him, what do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to do today, tomorrow, next year? Ten years down the road, Jesus has a plan, and our life really only works when we're following he had it for him and he had it for us. So I want you to see the plan. I also want you to understand the proclamation that Jesus was making this day. And you need to understand a little bit of first century culture and a little bit of Old Testament prophecy really to understand because Jesus very clearly, in a way that everybody in Jerusalem would understand, was declaring himself two things. I am the king and I am the Christ. And so he came as kings come into town on the back of an animal surrounded by an adoring crowd coming home to his capital city. But he also spoke to the Jews. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and the biblically aware people of the first century knew what he was doing. He was saying, Hey, look at me. I'm your king. I'm your Messiah. I'm your Christ. Now listen, that was either one of the most arrogant things ever done by a man. There have been a lot of arrogant men in history. It was either one of the most arrogant things done by a man, or it was true. And you and I need to decide that. You remember some of the other men who made great boast about themselves? My favorite was always this one. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, I am the greatest, Muhammad Ali. You remember that one? That was a great act of humility compared to what Jesus was saying. I am the king, I am the Christ, I am the son of God. And either he was right or the Jews were right to say he was blaspheming God. Understand the proclamation and decide where you stand. Is he the king? Is he the Christ? Is he the Son of God? Is he your king? This was being proclaimed on Palm Sunday. Number three, I want you to see the praise. The disciples, as they recognized what was happening, and the crowd, as they recognized what was happening, began to shout words of praise Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Hosanna. And the Pharisees, because they didn't believe who Jesus was, they were offended. Jesus, your disciples are giving you praise that should only go to God. Rebuke them. Tell them to be quiet. Shush them up. This is not right. And I love Jesus' answer. In essence, he said, look, something amazing and incredible is happening. The King is here. The Messiah is here. The Son of God is here. Something has to be said. Praise has to be offered. We can't keep quiet about this. If I were to tell my disciples to shut up, the rocks themselves would praise me. The praise of Jesus was natural and should have been, and still should be offered. This is God. Pharisees, don't you see it? No, they didn't see it. And sometimes even today we don't see. And we are way too quiet today about Jesus. Oh, I'm not saying we're quiet people we're way too quiet about jesus we are really good at the top of our lungs are proclaiming our politics to the point where we offend people we are really good at proclaiming morality to the point where we offend people. We are really good at proclaiming our beliefs about science and medicine and history and schools and everything else in the world to the point where we offend people, but we are way too quiet about Jesus. And that's one of the real complaints that the world can make about evangelical churches. You talk politics, you talk morality, you tell us how we should do our schools, you tell us how we should do life, you tell us, but you never give us the reason behind it, that's what we need to proclaim. The reason is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The thing we should not be quiet about is Jesus. If we're going to offend people, let it be because we take a stand for Jesus. Let me let it be because we loudly proclaim that there is a God. Let it be because we loudly proclaim that God cares for us and loves us and will forgive us. Let it be that we loudly proclaim that Jesus is his son and he died for us on the cross. Let it be because we loudly proclaim that Jesus is alive and that he is calling people to believe in him and live like him. There are a thousand voices in the world today. We cannot afford to mumble our belief in Jesus and shout about everything else. Let the world talk politics, science, medicine, morality, schools, education, government, our job is to praise and proclaim Jesus. Jesus. I mean, that's our message. The world thinks our message is abortion, morality, conservatism, politics, Anti this, anti that. Uh, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not opposed to talking about any of those things. We need to make it clear. We need to make it clear. We need to make it clear. Or even the rocks are going to have to cry out. It's Jesus. He's our message. He's who we believe in. He's who we follow. It's Jesus. So I want you to see the plan of Jesus, the proclamation of Jesus, the praise of Jesus. And then after the praise came a little-known part of Palm Sunday. I want you to see the pain of Jesus. While the crowds praised, Hosanna, throwing out their cokes and their cloaks and their palm branches, and Jesus stopped. Probably at a place on the road where he could clearly see the walls of Jerusalem. And he looked at the city and he wept. Every Jew loved Jerusalem, it was their capital. Though they understand doctrinally that God was everywhere, they kind of saw the temple as the place where God's presence was most real. And Jesus looked at the city and he cried. He cried because he loved them, though they had rebelled against him. They failed to accept him, failed to acknowledge him. And he knew that they would be judged. Forty years after Jesus said these words, just exactly as he said it, the city of Jerusalem was totally and completely destroyed. You can give the Romans credit, but it was the judgment of God. I came to you. You rejected me. And literally, the walls were torn down. The city was razed. The people were killed, destroyed, or sent into slavery. And Jesus cried because that was going to happen. He looked at the city, and he wept. Tears came to his eyes. Because they'd rejected him. Now listen, parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, pastors, anyone who deeply loves people and wants to point them in the right direction can understand the pain and the tears of Jesus on this day. I've done everything necessary to point you in the right direction, to save you, to help you, to to care for you. And you've rejected me. And and so you can understand what Jesus was feeling, except because he had perfect love, his pain was 10,000 times as deep. Even in the midst of praise, he could look at the city and feel the pain. I wondered this week when I was working on the sermon and read the passage again. Has Jesus ever had to cry for me? My hunch is that Jesus is probably crying for the United States of America right now. No land, no country, no people has been more blessed in the history of the world than us. So does he cry when he sees children shot in the schools and all we want to do is argue politics? I believe he does. Does he cry when he sees hatred and racism? Does he cry because 10,000 people are killed every year by drunk drivers? Does he cry because we abort 600,000 plus babies every year? Does he cry when he sees domestic violence and suicide? Does he cry because we can't even talk about solving today's problems without screaming, lying, and put-downs? If you're an artist, paint me a picture someday of Jesus looking at the city with tears coming down his eyes. And then show in the next panel, Jesus looking at the United States of America with tears coming down his eyes. See, I want you to see the the entirety of Jesus, not just the praise and the palms and the cloaks, but to understand the plan of Jesus, the proclamation of Jesus, the praise of Jesus, the pain of Jesus, grief and pain over those who have rejected him and who continue to destroy themselves. That's part of who Jesus is. And the last thing we see is the anger. Probably the the next day, but part of the same story. Jesus goes into the temple, and he sees the courts. This place where God designed people to be able to come and to pray and to seek God and to enjoy the fellowship of his people and to hear the teaching. The place had been turned into a place... A prophet, a flea market, buying and selling and people going crazy. And Jesus grew angry. I reject those who said Jesus lost his temper. I don't believe he lost anything. He knew exactly what he was doing. I am angry and I'm going to show it because the people need to understand my anger as well. And I want you to see something because we often get this wrong. You can check me this by reading all four Gospels. The thing that Jesus grew angry about was not the sin of the world. It was always the hypocrisy of his people. We get angry at the sin of the world... We need to look within and say, we need to raise our standards. We need to act like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus. We need to be the people of Jesus because revival will not come to America until the church begins to be the church of Jesus Christ and lives and loves and acts like Him. And we get mad at them. We need to get mad at us and say, we can and we will do better. This place that was designed for people to turn to God had just become a place for God's people to make a buck. And Jesus grew angry. It's the hypocrisy of God's people that angers Jesus. Far more than the sins of the world. We need to do a better job of policing ourselves, having much higher expectations for our churches, our leaders, members. We need to raise the bar of expectation. If you're going to call yourself a believer, you need to live like a believer. Too often the world looks at us and sees there's nothing at all different about those people except they go to church on Sunday morning. If that's our testimony, we got nothing to offer the world. Nothing at all. We need to live, love, act, follow Jesus more is expected of us. I I, I said that I I hope that I've never caused Jesus to cry. Man, I hope even more that I've never caused him to be angry, but I believe I have. I got to have higher expectations even of myself that I want to live like Jesus, and I hope you accept that as well. So what now? I've given you a lot of things as I normally do to think about. So let me boil it down to a few things that I'm asking you to do. Number one, I want to challenge you to enlist in Jesus' plan for your life. He has one. He knows what it is. Ask him. But ask with an attitude that begins with yes. Yes. Because if it's, tell me what you want me to do and maybe I'll do it and maybe I won't. Maybe you will cry, maybe he'll be mad. But if you come to Jesus, I don't know what you want me to do with my life or the rest of my life. But if you'll tell me I'll do it, then he will show you. So understand Jesus has a plan, enlist in it. Number two. Decide if you are a disciple or a critic of Jesus. Are you part of the Hosanna or the kill him? I mean, go one way or the other. Get out of the middle. You're either for him or you're against him. So decide if you're a disciple or a critic of Jesus. And then live like it. There's no room in the middle for people who are sort of halfway. Ah, okay, yeah, Jesus, whatever. Man, if you're a critic of Jesus, be willing to say so. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, be willing to say so. And live like it. It was a great day, but it was an up and down day for Jesus. There was praise, praise, it was a broken heart. There was anger. but There was grim determination because he loved you and me. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. I'm okay with that because I love Jack and I'm going to die on the cross because I love the people of Abondale Baptist Church. I'm going to let them kill me because I love the people of America. I'm going to let them put nails in my hands because I love the people of the world, all of them. And my hope and prayer is that they will put their faith and trust in me and follow me. And I want you to do that, even today. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.